is, is full this morning. I've got a lot of information to share with you, so I want you to do two things. First of all, I want you to get your Bible, and I want you to go to the book of Acts, chapter number 4. Fourth chapter of the book of Acts. We're going to look through this entire chapter this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to use it as kind of a reference point. Once you get to Acts chapter 4, the second thing I want you to do is put your finger there and then go backwards to the book of Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. So Acts 4, Matthew chapter 5. I'll tell you this. Typically when I come to the pulpit, I have about uh, 11 pages of notes. This morning I have like 27. Uh, I'm going to pare it down as I go through. Trust me. Uh, but there is, a, there is a message on my heart that I believe is for the, is for the church today. Um, it's, it's a message that, that this is my first time to share it. I, I've not preached this before. God's put it in my spirit and, and given me a burden for it. As I said earlier, I, I always count it a privilege to share the word. But, but there is a unique burden that has accompanied this message this morning. And I pray that God will allow me to communicate it effectively with His anointing. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. I know you were just seated, but out of reverence to the Word of the Lord, I want to go to Matthew chapter 5, start at verse number 10. It's a familiar passage of Scripture. It's the Beatitudes as Jesus is teaching and preaching what we know today is the Sermon on the Mount. He begins in verse number 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice! And be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set upon a hill and cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand so that it gives light to all who are in the house. Jesus opens this passage of Scripture by saying, Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when you're persecuted and Men speak all manner of evil against you, for so they did to the prophets. I believe in the United States of America, I'm not talking about a communist country, I'm not talking about a third world country, I believe we are living on the precipice of a persecution coming against the body of Christ like we have never known before. And unless we as a church stand up and proclaim Jesus Christ as the answer, we will lose the voice that we've been given. Jesus said you're blessed when you're persecuted. And it didn't take long after Jesus departed for persecution to come. We're going to look at that in Acts chapter 4 in just a moment. 
But I want us to pray, and I want you to help me. I want you to pray that God would use this time not to be just uh, some words that you would hear for the moment, but I want to share something with you that you will retain, that you'll hold on to, and will be a source for you to draw upon in days to come. Shall we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, I stand here this morning, God, overwhelmed by your mercy. God, I didn't come here today just to fill in. I didn't come here this morning just to to stand here while the pastor is away, but I came this morning to declare your word to your people. I ask today, God, that you would give me clarity of thought. God, that you would take the things that you've put into my spirit and help me to preach them as you want. God, let me say what needs to be said. Don't let me go any further, God, than what you want. But God, I pray that you would not allow me to be, uh, Lord, not allow me to be inhibited, but give freedom of spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. I believe that this persecution that I shared with you about will cause us to do one of two things. Persecution will cause us either to go into a mode where we do everything we can to survive or it will place us into a mindset where we are willing to do what it takes to thrive. I don't want to just survive. I don't want to be one of those ones that, that I've heard about that, that in words of testimony they say, I want to make it to heaven by the skin of my teeth. No, I want to go fully holding on to every promise of the word of God. I don't want to eke my way into heaven. I don't want to make it by some sort of last step or last ditch effort, but I want to be fully prepared when the Son of God comes or calls for me. I want to say, Lord, I gave my everything for you. I want to thrive, but in in the midst of of wanting to thrive, I I must remember and consider that Jesus here in Matthew chapter 5 gives some teaching that was against the contrary wisdom or it was contrary to the wisdom of his day he said blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake conventional wisdom says that that you're blessed and you're happy when everybody agrees with you conventional wisdom says you're blessed and happy when when everybody's on your side and and you're in the popular majority and everything's going your way but Jesus said no blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake and you must remember the disclaimer that Jesus puts on here sometimes we're persecuted for our own stupidity amen I've been down that road. I've made some decisions and made some choices that have brought persecution into my life and righteousness was no part of them. But Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. You see, Jesus, when he was a child, you remember the story about his birth. It says Jesus grew and he increased in favor with man. 
You remember that? As he went to the temple and he began to teach. And even as a child, as he grew into his young adult years, he was, he was looked upon by those who were around him and they recognized him as being a cut above. They recognized him as being somebody unique. But when Jesus began his earthly ministry and he began to proclaim some of the things that he was teaching here, when he began to stand in the midst of the synagogues and declare the word of the Lord, it was then that the religious leaders said, whoa, wait a minute. We're not ready for this. We're not ready for somebody to come with this radical of a message. We're not ready for somebody to come with a proclamation as strong as this. But you see, Jesus said, when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Over the course of the past few months, dating back to, to June of last year, I believe it was June uh, 26th of last year, there was a decision that came down from the Supreme Court in the United States of America, and that decision was that we as a nation should honor same-sex marriage. That decision is an unrighteous decision. Now, I'm not here to be political, but I, I do need to take a few moments to kind of set the table. That's an unrighteous decision. And it's a decision that has been forced upon our nation. You say, well, there have been unrighteous decisions in the past, like Roe versus Wade, like taking Bible reading out of school. Those decisions, while they were ungodly decisions, even though Roe versus Wade said abortion was legal, it didn't say you had to get one. Even though they remove Bible reading and prayer from school, you can still take a Bible and you can read it. You just can't read it publicly. But the decision of the Supreme Court that same-sex marriages had to be honored and recognized is a blanket decision that affects the entire nation. And there are other decisions that have come down since then, even more recently, decisions regarding bathroom use and those types of things. We live in a day in a time where legislative works and judicial works are separating the church from society. Jesus, when he said, blessed are you when you are persecuted, he was preparing his disciples for what he knew would come. Jesus, even in his life, he was persecuted and ultimately put to death. But when the disciples saw Jesus ascend back to heaven and the men in white apparel stood saying, who, is, who, who are you looking for? The same Jesus that is taken from you is going to come again in like manner. Little did they realize that only a few days hence they would encounter persecution that they had never known before. You remember the dialogue of Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3 as Acts chapter 1 gives us the, the story about Jesus saying, you're going to be endued with power from on high and you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And the people of God are encouraged. They, they, they call a meeting and they replace the fallen disciple. And Acts chapter 2 opens with that wonderful story of 120 believers in the upper room being poured out upon by the Holy Spirit. Cloven tongues of fire. They all speak in other tongues. And the church begins to grow as Peter stands on the, on the roadside of Jerusalem that day and he preaches 
preaches the gospel and 3,000 people come to know Jesus. Acts chapter 2 concludes with the little passage there in verses 45, 46, 47. Everybody was together. The church had favor. The church was increasing. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John went to pray. As they went to pray, you remember what happened? They passed by a lame man at the temple gate. And on this day, they stopped and said, Whoa, wait a minute. Here's a man that needs help. We're empowered by the Holy Ghost. We've got a word. I have no silver, nor do I have gold. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And this lame man, who for years had sat at this gate, and was then on this day, he was given strength in his legs and his ankle bones. And he jumped up, and he began to profess Jesus. Thousands are being saved. Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3, the church is blossoming. But then we enter Acts chapter 4. That's where I want to draw your attention for these next few moments. Acts chapter 4, verse number 1. Peter and John in in Acts 3 have seen this great thing happen. But in chapter 4, starting verse number 1, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came Upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day, that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them, being Peter and John, in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled, hallelujah, with the Holy Spirit began to speak to them. And from this point forward, I want to show you directly from the Scripture what I believe are six things that we can do in the midst of persecution to thrive and not just survive. The first thing here, you can see it right in the text of verse verse number 8. Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit. Church, my challenge to you in this day and this time is number one, stay filled with the Holy Spirit. Stay filled with the Holy Ghost. Keep your hand in the hand of the one who is empowering and equipping you. Peter's ability to deal with this situation. They've been taken into custody. They've been arrested. They've been placed in prison overnight. And now they stand in front of all of these religious leaders and they're saying to them by what means or by what authority are you doing this and immediately being filled with the Holy Spirit Peter began to speak to them church I want to tell you today is a day and a time that we must stay filled with the Spirit I don't want to come to church on a Sunday morning and have a little drink of the Spirit but I want to be 
filled with the Spirit. I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to talk in the Spirit. I want the Spirit to control my actions every moment of every day. I've got to be filled to overflowing. I've got to live in the overflow, if you will, so that the Holy Spirit saturates every fiber of my being. I don't want to just wear some little pin or some label that says I'm Pentecostal, but I want to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to see signs and miracles and wonders follow after me. I want people to be healed. I want sick people to be healed. I want blind people to receive sight. I don't believe that those happen just in the first century, but they can happen in the 21st century. We need churches filled with the Holy Spirit. We need congregations filled with the Holy Ghost. We need individuals to be filled with the Holy Ghost so that we can operate effectively during times of persecution. If you look down, and we're going to skip through, go down to the 31st verse, and we're going to come back to it in a moment, but I want you to see something. The intervening verses are Peter and and the scribes and, and the leaders dialoguing, but in the 31st verse, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Remember Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the Holy Spirit falls. Holy Ghost comes as cloven tongues of fire set upon them. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, a reoccurrence. Acts chapter 7 and verse number 55, but he being filled with the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven, speaking of Stephen, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Church, I don't want you to live on an experience that happened 20 years ago or 30 years ago. I want you to live on an experience that you have today, right here in this worship service. I want you to experience the Holy Ghost fresh and new. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You need to be baptized fresh and new. You need to let the God of all heaven so come into your life that you are overwhelmed by His goodness and His graciousness. You see, when we are filled with the Holy Ghost, we begin to operate like Jesus. When we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we begin to conduct ourselves in a manner that's pleasing to Him. That's why Isaiah said, His thoughts are above my thoughts. His ways are above my ways. But when we are filled with Him, His ways become our ways. His thoughts become our thoughts. We are more like Him when we are filled with the Holy Ghost. When we are filled and baptized with the Holy Ghost, it is then that we see His power resonate in my life or in our life. Jesus told His disciples in Matthew chapter 10, He said, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves. If you've done any sort of study about animals, you know that a wolf will always overpower a sheep. It's no contest. But Jesus was willing yet to send out his followers as sheep among the wolves. And he told them, he said, but beware of men. For they'll deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them to the Gentiles. Verse 19 of chapter 10 in Matthew. But when they deliver you, (laughs) do not worry about what you should speak. 
For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not for you to speak, but the spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Could I tell you there are things going on in our world today that I don't know what to say about. I don't have an explanation for it. I would have never thought in my lifetime I would see some of the things coming to pass like we're seeing come in our day and in our time. But I need the protective power of the Holy Spirit to be able to speak through me. I've got some things that I'd like to say. I've got some things that in me I'd like to say. But that's not what the Holy Spirit would want me to do. He wants me to conduct myself as an agent of Him. He wants me to be His ambassador as Paul would later say. And therefore I must speak the words of Him who sent me. Oh hallelujah. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. But notice as this verse continues, Acts chapter 4, continuing in verse number 8, he says, Peter then, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be made known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other name. For there is no under name, no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The second thing that we must do is stay truthful to our testimony. When Peter was called upon and asked that question, by what power do you do it? He didn't shy away. He didn't say, well, let me come up with the most politically correct answer. Let me say something that'll get me out of this situation. Let me appease the ears of those that I'm standing in front of. No, Pastor Tony. He said, let me tell you who I've done this through. It's the name of Jesus. The most offensive name in the United States of America today is the name Jesus Christ. You can speak any other name. You can speak Allah. You can speak Hindu. You can speak Jahari Krishna. And everybody is okay with that but you speak the name Jesus and demons begin to tremble you speak the name Jesus and people begin to take notice I tell you today church it's high time that we stand up and say we are the called army of the most high God Peter went on to say he said in the name of Jesus that's who we're doing it and he said to them whom you crucified You see, the scripture says that we crucify him daily. Church, we have to be willing to stand for the testimony that there is no name given under heaven by which man can be saved. Jesus alone is salvation. There are not many ways to God. There are not several pathways to wholeness. You can't, you can't yoga your way to heaven. You can't meditate your way into the presence of the Holy Spirit. When Peter and John stood before those who had called them out, 
Notice what he did. He used the occasion as an opportunity to preach the gospel. He unashamedly said, let me tell you. You want to know? I'll tell you. He didn't tone down the message so that he could accommodate them and their likes and dislikes. Hello. It grieves my heart, church, that far too many Christian organizations today are accepting of sin and sinful behavior. And under the name of the church, they willingly accept sinful acts. You see, it's high time that the church stand up and call sin, sin. It's high time that we stand up just as as Peter did and proclaim the name of Jesus. He said in verse number 10, Let it be known to you and to all of the people of Israel that it is by the name of Jesus. As I said a moment ago, the name Jesus is is offensive to a lot of people. The name of Jesus is offensive because why? Because there is power in the name of Jesus. When you speak the name of Jesus, you are speaking with authority. When you speak the name of Jesus, you're speaking the name of the one who shed his blood so that all might be saved. When you speak the name of Jesus, you are saying to those around you, there is a greater one and he is the one who has made us. He has made us, not we ourselves. We are the sheep of his pasture and as such, we must stay true to ourselves our testimony. When we have an opportunity, let us stand for Jesus. When the door of opportunity is before us, we must kick it open sometimes. And we have to say, I am here as a representative of the Most High God. I am here on the authority of Jesus Christ. I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm not here to tickle your ears. But I'm here to tell you that there is salvation for sin in the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved so we have to stay true to our testimony and then thirdly we have to stay faithful to our message and our mission as the fourth chapter unfolds and I'm, I, I want you to maybe this afternoon or in, in the days that lie ahead read through the fourth chapter in its entirety after Peter gives this defense the leaders say something to this effect to them Look, we're going to let you go, but we don't want you to speak at all or to teach in the name of Jesus. God help us. Is that not a picture of 21st century United States of America? We're going to let the church be, but but you just keep Jesus there inside your church. We're going to leave the church alone, so to speak, as long as you leave us alone. You have your world and we'll have ours. Look at verse 19. 
Peter and John answered to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Now remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the religious leaders. And he says to them, if you'll allow me to paraphrase it, you represent God, but you want us to do what you say instead of what he says. You, you are, are the, the ones who are leading the, the, the people of God, but you're telling us to be quiet about God. You see, the, the priests, and, and you saw the names there in those first seven verses, folks of, of renown, Caiaphas and Annas and all of these folks, they, they're assembled there and it said, look, you know what, if you want us to be quiet... And you think that's right versus what God wants us to do, you judge. You see, the the religious leaders weren't seeking the truth. They were seeking comfort. The religious leaders weren't seeking revival. They were seeking prestige. They were trying to preserve their own prosperity. It was later again in Acts chapter 5 and verse 28 where they gave this challenge to Peter. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Acts chapter 4 verse 19. Be quiet. You stop. Don't say it. Acts chapter 5. They filled Jerusalem. With the name of Jesus. Could I tell you church. We must stay faithful and true to our message. It is high time that we as a people of God stand up and proclaim God. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. I want to stand here in this pulpit. I want to stand at the at the football stadium. I want to stand on the street corner. I want to stand wherever I am and let it be known. I am the king's child. I belong to Jesus and I am his alone. We are the body of Christ, but more importantly than that, we have to tell others about Jesus. That's why Jesus told his disciples before he went away, go and teach and preach and baptize and disciple and bring them into a relationship. Why? Because it's now our responsibility We have to proclaim the message. If we are silent, the message will not get preached. But I tell you today, we must rise up as an army with a voice that says, Jesus Christ is our salvation and our answer. Stay true to our message and to our mission. Look at verse 20 of Acts chapter 4. Peter, when he says, Should we obey God rather than you? goes on to say for we cannot speak we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and we have heard another way to say that I can't keep quiet what's happened to me the old gospel song says he's done so much for me I cannot tell it all 
I cannot tell it all. He's done so much for me, I cannot tell it all. He's taken my sin away. You must remember, it is this Peter who had denied Jesus, who three times on the eve of the crucifixion had said, I do not know him, but today he is, sta- he is proudly standing before the religious leaders, probably some of the same ones that were gathered in the courtyard on the night of the crucifixion. And Jesus and Peter is saying, yes, I know Jesus. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. And it is by his power and by his authority that I stand here today. So I tell you, church, continue to stay true to the message. Be faithful to the message and the mission of Jesus Christ. The fourth thing that I would submit to you is stay united with godly people. It is imperative in this day and this time that the church stay together. If we're going to thrive in an environment of persecution, we will need one another more than ever before. We know when Jesus sent his disciples out, he sent them as as sheep going among wolves. But Jesus sent them out in groups. He commissioned them to go not alone, but he sent them two by two. Church, we need brothers and sisters that we can lock arms with and we can march as an army going forward carrying the message of Jesus Christ. And that brings me to this point of of staying united. God help me right here. We're not to be at odds with others who proclaim Jesus Christ. We, we don't need to spend our efforts trying to destroy other denominations. We, we don't need to, to split doctrinal hairs at the expense of alienating people from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, now I'm Pentecostal. But you know what? If a Baptist can win somebody to Jesus Christ, praise God. Praise God. Get their name written down. I'm Pentecostal, charismatic, church of God. I like to hoop and holler. I like to run and shout. But if it's liturgical Lutheran worship that brings somebody into the presence of Jesus Christ, so let it be. Now, that's not real popular preaching, but I'm going to tell you it's true. I remember the very first church I pastored and served was in the community of Chester, Virginia, and there were nine churches in the village of Chester. And every year on two occasions, we came together for an ecumenical service. It was on 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 the Wednesday night prior to Thanksgiving, and then on sunrise at Easter. Those nine churches in that community came together, and they had for years, and it was a wonderful time. One of the churches in that conglomerate was an African-American Methodist church. Now, if you know anything about the AME church, they're more Pentecostal than we are. And so it was, the, it was Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, and And the the process was whatever church we went to, that pastor delivered the word. And so they're, they're very formal in their worship, but at the same time they're very free in their worship. 
The worship had been going on for 20 or 30 minutes and, and then they came and, and got us, the clergy, and they brought us out and, and they set us in these high back chairs. I don't know where they got all of those chairs from, but they had them lined up and they set us. And, and, and here I am, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm into the worship and the pastor of the Presbyterian church is standing next to me and his hair is, 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 his hair is bleach white and his skin turned the same color. He'd never been in that environment of worship. And he was a little nervous. I just turned and smiled at him. I said, this is good, isn't it? He had no words. But as, as the man of God stood and began to declare the message, I noticed that, that he began to loosen up a little bit. This Presbyterian pastor began to, to... Now, he never hollered and said amen. He never lifted his hand, but he got more comfortable. And I want to tell you something, church. We don't need to alienate people from Christianity. We need to bring them in. And therefore, we need to stay united with godly people. Not just people of Pulaski Church of God. But we need to stay united with godly people. Here's the fifth thing. Look at verses 24 and forward. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed. You see, verses 24 through 30 is the account of prayer. If, we're going to, if we are going to thrive in the midst of persecution, we're going to have to learn to pray. We're going to have to pray like Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter number 20. We're going to have to learn to pray like 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways. We're going to have to learn to pray like Jesus prayed when he prayed all night in the garden. We're going to have to learn to pray in the midst of persecution. I would give you this advice. Learn to pray before persecution gets heavy. Learn to pray now. Because when times of persecution come, you already need to know how to pray. I've heard it said and I've even proclaimed it. There are certain people you can call upon because they know how to pray. They know how to get a prayer through. I thought about that as I was preparing for this message and I said, Lord, why can't I be that one? Why can't it be me? And the Holy Spirit in His convicting tone says, because you need to pray more. You see, if I'm going to be somebody that's known as a prayer, prayer, I've got to spend time in prayer. If I'm going to be known as somebody who can get a prayer through, I'm going to have to have a reputation of being a person who looks to God in prayer. 
Stay prayerful. You see, if we don't pray, we will not prevail. Prayer is what will bring the power needed to give us victory. It was E.M. Bounds who said this, Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. Simple statement, but also true. God, would you help us to pray more? Understand something, church, that we are under attack. It's not a frontal attack by an army standing at the gates or the doors of the church with guns saying, you can't go here. But it's an attack coming against the church saying, we're going to silence you. We're going we're to make you be quiet. It's the same thing that Peter and John were told by the rulers of their day. Just be quiet. No, we will not be quiet. Peter and John left that occasion and they called the people to prayer. Notice they prayed fervently. They united themselves in prayer. They declared God's sovereignty. They were specific in their request to be bold and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. But in verse number 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. No doubt the number of people in that occasion went and went beyond the 120 in the upper room, but no doubt in my mind, that some of the same people who were in the upper room were present on this occasion in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 31 and they experienced a refilling. They experienced a renewal of fire. They experienced the power of the Holy Ghost coming on them again. I want a new and fresh experience. As I pray, God will pour out His favor and His blessing. As I pray, God will continue to keep me safe. As I pray, God will continue to give me direction. Church, we We need to pray in times of persecution. And then finally, we must stay committed to the eternal kingdom of God. Go with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Tony, if you'd come, begin to play that song. Acts 4, 32 and forward. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart. And one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite, of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, brought the money, and laid it 
at the apostles' feet. In study and prayer for this message, God drove these verses home to my heart. These people were committed so strongly to the kingdom. They were committed so strongly to the message of Jesus Christ that they said, look, what we have doesn't matter. We'll sell it. We'll get rid of it. Specifically, Barnabas sold his land. He brought it. He laid his money at the, at the apostles' feet. The scripture says that they took those monies, they took that collection, and they ministered one to another. They ministered, and none of them, the scripture says, had a need. Here's a huge difference that I see between the Acts 4 church and the 2016 church. Today, it's all about me. It's all about me. What can I get? What can I gain? How can, how can I increase? How can, how can I have? There's a gospel that's being preached, the prosperity gospel that says, if you come to Jesus, all of your needs will be supplied. As long as you send me $55 a month, draw your hand on a piece of paper. Scripture says that they sold everything. Their possessions didn't matter anymore. Why? Because it was all about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. The song that I'm going to have Brother Tony sing in just a moment was centuries from being written. But the words ring true of that church in Acts chapter 4 what they said was I'd rather have Jesus than anything I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today the Holy Spirit impressed upon me this week we've got so much more to be distracted by today you see the Acts 4 church was a simple group of people the possessions that we have the things that we have today if we're not careful will separate us from Jesus Christ I want to wrap up with, a, with an illustration I recently heard. Last weekend, my wife and I had the privilege to work with the Extraordinary Women's Conference in Roanoke, and there was a lady who spoke on Saturday morning. She spoke on behalf of Compassion, the, the group that collects money and sends to children. She related this story. She said that she had occasion to go to a South American country. I believe it was the country of Colombia. And after being in an area, she was invited into a home. A home that was really a, a hut. And the door was a curtain that had been hung across an opening. And she stepped into that 
hut and as she stepped in the floors were dirt there were three women three generations of women a mother a daughter and a granddaughter she didn't really understand why she was called in there and, and, and it came to her well maybe I need to pray for these people and the grandmother spoke and said no we want to pray for you and the reason we want to pray for you is we don't want you to get distracted by your possessions. They said, in our life, we don't have a lot to distract us from Jesus because we're not dependent upon a bunch of things. But we want to pray for you. That lady said she fell to her knees on that dirt floor of that hut and began to cry out to God, don't let anything separate. Church, we need to be united and we need to be committed enough to say, Lord, whatever it takes, I want you more than anything else. I want you to stand this morning. In a very solemn time of commitment, here's what I want to ask. My plea to you this morning is simply this. If you are willing to take the words of this song, if you're willing to say to Jesus, I want you more than anything else. And they get to the chorus of this song, Tony, if you'll be prepared to sing the first verse. Once that verse ends, when he reaches the chorus, if that's you and you'd say, I want Jesus more than anything else, I want you to step out from where you are and make your way to this altar and we're going to pray to